Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Today we're going to be in the book of Matthew. As Brother Philip just read for us the, the first part of this chapter, Matthew chapter 2. We are going to be in the last part of this chapter, picking up where Philip dropped off in verse 12. We're going to be picking up in a moment in verse 13. A woman, a baby, and a dragon. I wonder if this morning as we turn the page into 2023, you feel like you may be fighting a losing battle. Maybe you as an individual Christian... Coming to the end of 2022 is not a good thing, and looking forward to 2023 doesn't necessarily bring too much promise because you feel like you've been fighting a losing battle. Maybe it's a physical problem or a mental or emotional or even a spiritual problem. How many times do we as the church, not just First Baptist Church Dumas, but the church of Jesus Christ, how often do we feel like in this world of sin, wickedness, and rebellion to God's word, how often do we feel like we're fighting a losing battle? Whether as a corporate church or individual Christians, sometimes it feels as if we're not winning. Whether we look around the world and we see persecution in the world against believers, we feel persecution in our own lives, we see growing ungodliness, maybe there's suffering, pain, sin, and death in your life even this morning. We come through Christmas, we come to a new year, another year come, another year gone, and I wonder if you think, is anything any different Sure, we change the calendar. We have to remember to write three instead of two for a whole couple months here. But has anything really changed? Is anything better? Is anything worse? I want us to be reminded this morning from God's word, the good news of Christmas, the good news of a new year, and the good news every Lord's Day and every single morning is that God wins. God wins. God triumphs over the world, over sin, over death, and over Satan. And though those foes and enemies and problems in your life, in our world, in our society seem insurmountable, and though it might seem like a no-win scenario everywhere you turn, the good news of Christmas and every Lord's Day is that God is sovereign. And he is providentially working out his plan. Listen, whether it's obvious in your circumstances right now, or whether it's not so obvious, whether you're aware of God's work in your life right now, or whether you're unaware of God's work in your life right now, the good news of Christmas and the Bible and the gospel is that God is at work working out his plan in your life and in all the world. Look at Matthew chapter, chapter 2, starting in verse 13 this morning, picking up where Philip left off. When they, that is the wise men, departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. 
and remain there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod, uh, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the inerrant, inspired, and infallible word of our God. The scripture reading from earlier introduced us to the wise men. We sing, we three kings, and that's an okay term. More appropriate term would be wise men or magi. Magi from the east, we're told. Probably men associated with astrology, the interpretation of dreams. They would have been associated and aware of multiple world religions around them, including Judaism. And as they collected sacred writings and scriptures from various regions around them, perhaps it seems they were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, especially one particular Hebrew scripture, Numbers 24:17. Way back in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, as we hear the word of the Lord coming through an unlikely source. This is not a prophet of the Lord. This was Balaam who was hired by a wicked king to prophesy against God's people and to rain down a curse from them, for them, except God took over his mouth, and as he began to prophesy over them, he began to speak blessings instead of curses. And part of the blessing he spoke over Israel was this, I see him but not now, I behold him but not near. Listen, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Perhaps these wise men reading the Hebrew scriptures, maybe they were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures from the Hebrews exile in Babylon. And maybe they would have read Numbers and said, this is the star, and the star has appeared. And the Lord was using all these means to point them rightly to the one this pointed to, the Lord, the King Jesus, the star of Jacob, the scepter of Judah. And so they come to Jerusalem looking for this one king, looking for the ruler who this star prophesied. And they come unknowingly to this wicked king, Herod. Looking for the true king, they come to a false king, but they get a right answer. As Philip read the scriptures earlier, they come and they ask Herod, We saw his star. Where is the king? What do your scriptures say about where this Messiah is to be born? We see the star. We know the sign, but we don't know the rest of the story. So Herod summons his religious leaders, and they give them a right answer. In verses 4 through 6, he tells them rightly from the prophet Micah, 
Out of you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, will come this one who is to be ruler in Judah. Rather than humbling himself under the word of the Lord, under these ancient weighty promises, though, this wicked King Herod devises an evil plan to murder this baby king. But the good news is today, God had another plan. Beginning in verse 13, number one today, we see an early escape. An early escape. We know the story. We read the first part. I read the second part to you. Something is off here. As the wise men come to Herod, and Herod says, Oh, go and find the child, and when you find him, come and tell me that I might come and worship him too. Except we know that Herod has no intention of worshiping this child. Herod is the mighty king of Judah, the king of Israel, strong and powerful. And though he is a puppet king, he nevertheless has the authority of the Roman Empire behind him. He is a strong, mighty, powerful ruler looking for a poor peasant baby born in a poor peasant town. And he devises this plan, as verse 13 tells us, to destroy him. The angel tells Joseph, look at verse 13, the second part there. Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Can you imagine the foolishness of King Herod? And I want you to understand this. Herod knows the prophecies. Herod knows the word of the Lord. Herod even assents to the word of the Lord. He believes that these promises are true. He believes that these prophecies are true. But rather than rejoicing in what God is doing, he tries to thwart and to stop what God is doing. I wonder if we ever pause to think how often we and our world do the same thing. Not just to mention sinners and unbelievers who reject God and reject his word outright. What about those of us who know his word? Who understand it? Who have heard it? Who maybe even say, yes, we believe it. But instead of rejoicing in it and obeying it and doing it, we rebel against it and try to stop it, just like wicked King Herod. What kind of foolishness is this? The psalmist reveals the idiocy of this kind of thinking in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1, we see that the nations are raging. Why do the nations rage? And why do the peoples plot in vain? It says in verse 2, the kings of the earth, listen, set themselves and the rulers take counsel against who? Against the Lord and against his anointed. Do you see Herod? Do you see our world? Do you see sinners here? And what do they say? Let us break their bonds apart. Let us get rid of their rule. Who needs them? Who needs the Lord? Who needs his anointed? How does God respond in verse 4? He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Not just does he laugh in dismissal. Who are they to answer me? Though he does dismiss them. There's this laugh of derision. Mockery. Almost snorting and chuckling to himself. Who is this man? Who are these nations? Who are these kings to rise up against me? And God scoffs at such kind of thinking. Who are you, O man, to stop God? 
And yet here is Herod. Here is our world. Here is our own hearts sometimes rising up in the face of God and saying, we don't need you. We don't need your word. We don't need your rule. And we see this refusal to obey God and to submit to his rule, even with the knowledge of God. Even with a supposed claim to believe in God. We turn our backs on him, and so does our world. But before Herod could ever devise his wicked plan, God knew his plan, and God had his own. In verse 12, we see that he had already warned the wise men not to return to Herod. He had already warned them to go another way. In verse 13, he now comes to Joseph and warns him, Rise, take the child and his mother. God knows Herod's plan. Listen, God knew Herod's plan. God is not in reaction against Herod's plan. He was already using his plan to thwart Herod's plan before Herod even had a plan. Further, he tells Joseph, I need you to go. I want you to escape until I tell you. Do you see that in verse 13? Until I tell you. What does this say? That even as Herod was devising his plan, God was one step ahead of him, ahead of him devising his own plan, warning Joseph, but not just warning him assuring him that Herod's plan would fail before it even started. I want you to go take the child and his mother until I tell you. Herod's plan's going to come, it's going to go, it's going to fail. Just go until I tell you. God in his sovereignty and his power is working out his plan and his will that no man, no matter how powerful and how sinister and how murderous and how rebellious, no man can stop his plan. And any man is foolish to try. Number two, we see a trip to Egypt. Ninety miles away from where they were was the Egyptian border. We think, well, that seems like a reasonable place of escape. How many other places could God have chosen for them to escape to? Why not just saddle them up and ride off with the wise men back to Persia or wherever they came from? Why Egypt? But we have these specific instructions. Rise up, take the mother, take the child, and go to Egypt. Well, it's not without reason. Egypt was a pivotal place for Israel. This is where Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. This is where Joseph rose to power and saved Israel and all the world at that time from famine. This is where centuries later Israel found herself in bondage, in slavery for 400 years. But it's also to Egypt that God called Moses to deliver his people with mighty signs and wonders up out of Egypt. And so Egypt was always this sign, this code word for where they had been and what God had done and where he had brought them. It was always this code word for we were enslaved, but now we're free. We were in bondage, but now we're in the promised land. And God chooses to send Jesus there. Nowhere else. Rise and go to Egypt. 
Matthew tells us that this was to fulfill, in verses 14 and 15, this was to fulfill, verse 15, what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Quoting from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now we have to understand, because this is important for Matthew's gospel, so many times in these first two or three chapters, Matthew is reminding us at almost every single stop, this was to fulfill this, this was to fulfill this, this was written about this. And we have to remember that when Matthew says this was to fulfill this, he's not just talking about a prediction that has come true. We so often reduce prophecy to that, don't we? These Old Testament prophecies that predict something about the Messiah or about Israel or about some futuristic event. And we say that that's what prophecy is. It's a prediction of some future event. It comes true. It's fulfilled. That might be true. But it's more about a picture being completed. And so Matthew uses this language of Egypt and Israel. Out of Egypt I have called my son Israel. He uses this language that the prophet used. Out of Egypt and out of bondage I have called my son Israel. And now he applies it to Jesus and says that Jesus completes the picture. What Israel was only a picture of coming out of Egypt... What Israel was only a picture of coming out of Babylon and exile, Jesus is the fulfillment of. And there's something about this land of captivity, something about this land of slavery and bondage. There's something about this land, this place of God's deliverance that Israel had gone and come up out of that Jesus now goes to for a reason. And it's interesting to note that although Joseph was sold to Egypt in slavery, it was his brothers who were really enslaved. Although Israel found herself enslaved in Egypt, it was Pharaoh who was truly enslaved. And now, although it is Jesus who flees with Mary and Joseph to Egypt, it is not they who are in slavery, but it is Herod who is enslaved to himself and who will die in his slavery. Something about this place, Egypt, slavery, and deliverance, that says, I want to send my son there. Number three this morning, a murderous plot. Verses 16 through 18, Herod realizes he's been avoided, and now he takes matters into his own hands. And we have another fulfillment, don't we? Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And we have this song of lamentation about these women wailing over their dead children because Herod's plan is a holocaust, infanticide, murderous plot to take over this region to prevent this king from growing up by slaying every male child under two years old. And so Herod unleashes this plan as this seemingly undefeatable, bloodthirsty beast. The people are all living in fear under this wicked king. I was reminded as I thought about Herod as the beast, as the dragon. I was reminded of the great dragon Smaug in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. The smog, smog says about himself, My armor is like tenfold shields. 
My teeth are swords, my claws spears, the shock of my tail a thunderbolt, my wings a hurricane, and my breath death. And oh, how Middle-earth cowered under smog, and how these people cower under King Herod, who seems like this bloodthirsty, undefeatable beast and dragon. And how often do the people of God cower under wicked rulers and wicked armies like this? Whether it was Egypt, or Babylon, or Rome, or now Herod and his thirst for blood, we see this great enemy that seems undefeatable and insurmountable. But we remember that there's a greater enemy behind it all. Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 identifies this enemy, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Here is the real enemy, the teeth exposed of sin and wickedness, his claws stretched out of temptation and the flesh, his breath of deception and lies, lying waste to everything in his path with hatred for God, hatred for man, and hatred for Jesus' church. And those are the enemies, whether it was Egypt or Rome or Babylon or Herod or the godlessness in our own day, that is the same enemy we are facing trampling the innocents under their feet in rebellion against God's king. Little does Herod know that even as he goes after Jesus, Jesus has already escaped. It's as if they got there and someone told them, he is not here. An unstoppable plan, number four today, verses 19 through 23. I want you to notice in verse 19 how almost in passing, A footnote, Herod dies. This great, bloodthirsty dragon of a king with his claws exposed, murdering these thousands of baby boys. And just as we turn the page, verse 19, but when Herod died, a footnote, a side note, as it is with all of God's enemies. All sound and fury, signifying nothing. The enemy, as it turns out, is defeated. The darkness is vanquished. Morning comes, and in the morning light, Herod is now dead. Dream comes to Joseph. Rise and take the child. It's safe to return. And as they return, they return to Nazareth. And look at verse 23. As we come to the end of this section, what is being told to us again? Except what is spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. With all of Herod's roaring and all of Herod's murder, he could not stop God's plan. And at the end of this whole story, where do we come back to except where we started? God's word will be fulfilled. And no king or empire, mass murderer will ever stop God from fulfilling his plan for his purpose and his time for his glory. So I ask you again, at the end of this story, do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle in this world as Jesus' church, as an individual Christian against sin and temptation and godless leaders, rampant sin, darkness, wickedness, evil, rebellion, hard hearts? 
Does it ever seem undefeatable, insurmountable, impenetrable? Consider this woman, this young mother, Mary, who had a promise. She remembered from Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the promise of the angel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Perhaps she remembered Isaiah's words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Consider this woman, consider this baby, the anointed one of God, promised from before there was creation, from before there was time, if we can even wrap our minds around this, slain from the foundation of the world. Consider this anointed king, this baby. You also have to consider the dragon, the forces of evil personified in this one wicked king and every wicked king since. Then we consider God, who with this early escape foils Herod's plans to rescue the woman and Joseph and the baby. Who with this trip to Egypt hides them while also identifying them with this place of bondage and deliverance. Consider God who, although this murderous plot unveils, reveals his own unstoppable plan that his word might be fulfilled. Consider the might and the power and the sovereignty and the providence of God. Listen, not just in the lives of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and King Herod, but listen this morning, in all things, in all your things, in all things all over the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that he works all things according to the counsel of of his own will. What is exempt from all things? Are any of your sufferings? Are any of your trials? Are any of your temptations? Are any of your circumstances? Is any of the godlessness and the sinfulness and the rebellion and the wickedness in our world right now, is any of that exempt from that statement that he works all things according to the counsel of his own will, and not one thing happens outside of his sovereign command and will. Understand that your life this morning, this world, these times, nothing is outside of God's eternal sovereign plan. Kings and rulers and empires will rise and fall. Sinful leaders and governments and nations will come and they'll go. Suffering and pain and trials and death will rock us. The world, sin, and Satan, that old dragon, may seem undefeatable. But again, the good news of Christmas and the good news of the gospel is that God wins. And everything else is just a footnote. God was at work, listen, foiling Herod's plan before Herod even knew he had a plan. You ever considered that? He already warned the wise men. He already warned Joseph before Herod even said, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to go after this king. 
God stops the enemy's plans before there was one. And you think this morning that God is unable to keep you? That God is unable to preserve you? That God is unable to guard you in 2023? Consider this story, these actors, the power balance, and then put God in the equation. Consider 2022. Consider 2023. What lies behind, what lies ahead. Consider the struggle, the trials, the pain, the suffering, the blessings. Put God in the equation. Herod, it turns out, was nothing more than a puppet. A puppet king for Rome. But a puppet of Satan. The dragon, a beast as a type of Satan himself. As we close today, I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. We're going to read a lengthy section here, all of chapter 12, but it's for a purpose. Revelation, chapter 12. John, the apostle, in his vision of the apocalypse... Just literally means the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. He has these dreams and these visions. And here in Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. One is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now a war rose in heaven, Michael and his archangels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and, in his, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, his anointed, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings 
the wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Herod was just a picture of this. Herod, Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus were just one part of this whole. Showing us this enemy who is always warring against God's people. That ancient serpent who rebelled against God before creation. Who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. The seed of the serpent always attacking the heel of God's people. Whether it was Egypt or Babylon or Rome or Herod or persecution today. Trying their best to snuff out the seed of this woman. The people of God redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The devil here in this picture knows his time is short. He knows his defeat is certain, and so he rages all the more. And verse 17 tells us who he rages against. Against the offspring of this woman. A picture of Christ's people, his bride, his church. We know this war, don't we? In our own lives, in our society, in our world, we know this war. Of Satan against the people of God. The seed of the serpent against the seed of the woman. But Genesis 3.15 tells us there is one seed of a woman. Come to throw the serpent down. The magi unknowingly maybe identified him correctly. They brought him frankincense. The gift of a priest. We sang it today. A sign of incense, the prayers of the people of God rising to him from the tabernacle and the temple. Unknowingly, maybe identifying this baby Jesus as a priest. They brought him myrrh. Maybe identifying him as we sang as our sacrifice. That would have been a spice used to to rub on the dead bodies of those they buried to preserve them. Myrrh, this sign of gathering gloom. And death and sacrifice. How about gold? They bring him gold, the sign of a king. A crown, a throne, a scepter of gold. And so they maybe unknowingly identify Jesus as our priest and our king and our sacrifice. And yet here is this king and priest and sacrifice descending into the world he created. Descending as Israel went to Egypt... As he as a baby went down to Egypt, he comes from heaven to this world to take on the form of a slave. And to be obedient to God, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But just as God delivered his people up out of Egypt, then he would deliver his anointed one out of the grip of death. 
The bonds of sin broken, the power of death destroyed, victory won. And the dragon and Herod lay dead, forgotten, and defeated. And just as Joseph rose and took his family back in safety, Jesus rose with sin and death and Satan under his feet. And listen this morning, if you are in him, that victory and that triumph is yours. You have been delivered from the bonds of sin and death. You have been delivered from hell and the power of Satan and the powers of darkness forever. I wonder this morning, do you know that deliverance in Jesus? Do you know that victory in him? Believers, this morning I want you to live in the light of this victory. That he who bruised the serpent's head. Romans chapter 16 verse 20. He who bruised the serpent's head will soon crush Satan. Under your feet. Yes, your feet. Because if you are in Christ, his victory is your victory. His triumph is your triumph. When Jesus went to the cross, when he was laid in that tomb, when he rose again on the third day and ascended to his Father and sent the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand this morning, we're not waiting on Satan to be bound. Satan is already bound and defeated and cast down. John chapter 12, verse 31, before Jesus even went to the cross, he says this, Now is the judgment of this world. We're not to the book of Revelation yet. We're not in the tribulation yet. I don't see the signs of the end. And Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Listen, and now is the ruler of this world cast down. By my cross, by my tomb, by my empty grave. The battle rages. Satan rages. That's what Revelation tells us. He will go on raging and raging and raging against the people of God. But it's the pathetic twitches of a serpent who has already been killed. God has spoken the final word through the word Jesus. So you can trust him this morning. Joseph, Mary, the baby... They obeyed God. They trusted in his sovereign providential care. They followed him. They trusted him. Even when the beast seemed undefeatable. Because they had the promise of God. I want you to obey. I want you to trust Joseph. Until. Maybe today in your suffering and your circumstances... You need to just be encouraged to hold on, to press on, to persevere until, because Jesus is coming and that old serpent will be thrown down and defeated forever. So bring him incense, bring him gold. Bring him myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. 
let loving hearts enthrone him. Our God and our Father, we give you thanks on this New Year's Day, still celebrating in the light of Christmas what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus. And God, as we pause today to hear your voice by your word, by your Holy Spirit, we ask that it, if there are any hearts in here today who have not yet enthroned Jesus on the throne of their hearts, he's already enthroned in heaven. He's Lord and he's king, whether he say he is or not. But God, if there are any here today who have not owned him as their king and their Lord, I ask that today would be the day you bring them to salvation. God, for those of us in here who do know you, who do know this king, and have brought our hearts and our lives to him, encourage us. Fill us with a sense of your love and your peace and your joy and your victory. No matter what happened in 2022, no matter what will happen in 2023, you are God, you're sovereign, you're in control, and you win. Encourage our hearts in that truth through your son Jesus, by your Holy Spirit today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.